the type of I like. This is the type of I like. This is the type of I like. This is the type of I like. Uh, this is the type of I like. Dime a dozen. Traffic. Welcome back, welcome back everybody, it's your man Damian Bartonic, and today we are back with yet another episode of the Dame's Dropback Podcast. I'm your host Damian Bartonic, and today we got a lot to discuss when it comes to the Washington football team. Uh, their season ended on Sunday, uh, 7-10 and record on the year. I personally had them going 9-8 and to start the year. That was with a healthy Ryan, Fitz, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, along with a, a bunch of just other factors uh, you know, heading into the year. Obviously, they fell short of that goal. They still had some pretty good moments throughout their season. Uh, And with that being said, I think I really want to start tackling this episode immediately because we kind of have a lot to discuss. So I'm going to outline the show really quick for you all, and then we're just going to get right into it. Um, we're going to start first with my general thoughts on the year, uh, uh, specifically about a, a particular like narrative that's been going around, a, a particular question that's been going around, um, you know, after the year, after the year, you know, concluded, a lot of the media members had a specific uh, mindset, a specific narrative they're, they're thinking about and talking about. So I'll discuss that a little bit. After that, we're going to start talking a little bit about, you know, my, some of my biggest, you know, takeaways or improvements on the year. Some people or some people, some players uh, that really, you know, surprised me or they improved, you know, and they're just because, you know, Dame's Dropback is such a prestigious show. You know what I mean? I have to show them some love and uh, just talk about, you know, just how, how much they improved, you know, what guys really surprised me and just some other just takeaways from the year that were positive. Uh, and then after that, of course, we're going to go to the biggest, you know, kind of disappointments. Uh, I hate to use the word disappointment because that's that acts like I'm like their dad or something. I mean it in a professional manner, you know, just the biggest dis- disappointments of the year. Uh, and that can be anything from a coaching staff to, to, you know, how specific players played or anything like that. Uh, then we're going to talk about, you know, who must be re-signed, who should be uh, moved, you know, who should Washington move on from or let go and let them walk in free agency. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, who Washington should start week one, which would be a pretty interesting conversation. And then lastly, it's going to be what will the name be? What, you know, who will the Washington football team be in 2022? Uh, so with that being said, we're going to start that right here in a moment. Alrighty, y'all. So let's get right into this. So my general thoughts on the year, um, a question that's really been kind of circulating and, and a narrative that's been, you know, kind of circulating a little bit is, um, you know, Washington season ended seven at seven and 10, you know, last year, you know, they were seven and nine. So the question has been, you know, is finishing seven and 10 better than seven and nine? And is Washington in any sense better or improved? Uh, what is there to look forward to? And what is the narrative heading into this upcoming offseason? Uh, I think there are numerous differences between last year's team and this year's team. Uh, And I believe personally that this team is much better than the one that we saw in 2020. Uh, For starters, Washington's list of opponents last year en route to a playoff berth were largely mediocre. Uh, It was a lot of Nick Mullins. You got some Andy Dalton thrown in there. You got some Ben DiNucci, I believe, in that first Dallas game. There was a lot of, you know, mediocre quarterbacks, mediocre offenses uh, that Washington faced last year and they ended up beating, which is nice, right? They did their job. That's good. Uh, But this season in particular, Washington went, you know, they went to the QB gulag like they were playing Warzone. And just as a defense, they played against some of the best quarterbacks in football from Justin Herbert and Josh Allen to Tom Brady and Dak Prescott. Uh, They won seven games this year, you know, and they beat some really good teams, you know, throughout this throughout this year. And I think on that premise alone, you can say this team is better because I don't think last year's team beats the teams that they beat this year. Like, yeah, Washington lost to the Chargers and they lost to the Bills. 
But I don't think last year's team beats Tampa Bay. I don't think they beat Oakland or Las Vegas, rather. I, I, they probably don't beat Seattle. I mean, they didn't beat Seattle last year either. Uh, you know, I maybe you know they they beat the Panthers, but even then, Washington faced the best possible version of that Panthers team when they were riding hot, and uh, Washington ended up beating them. They really took their best shot and beat them. So, like those four games in particular, I don't think Washington wins last year. Uh, you know all things considered. So I would say this team was definitely better overall. And specifically, you know, when you take into the account, you know, who they played this year, I definitely think that they were better. Uh, defensively, you know, they did struggle. But in the heat of battle, as they were fighting for a playoff spot prior to COVID and, you know, all the off-the-field issues, you know, really destroying their team. And, and, you know, after dealing with, you know, numerous crushing injuries to some of their better players this season on defense, they were able to put together high-level defensive performances against the Buccaneers, the Raiders, and the Cowboys. I think this was a major learning year for Ron Rivera and Jack DeRio, so much so, uh, so much so that this defense will take into consideration a brand-new philosophy in 2022. Uh, while this season did not go exactly to plan, and there are certain areas where Washington must improve, I think a big takeaway from this year and from last year that I have, and I cannot stress this enough, is that it is very impressive in my eyes that Washington has been able to flirt with the 500 record while dealing with replacement-level quarterback play over the last two seasons. Uh, and specifically, let's talk about this year um, when you look at the schedule that they played and who they were playing with primarily. So I feel like a, an aspect of this of this team and how they've done, especially this year, is overlooked is the fact that they played with a backup quarterback for the entire year. Uh, for a thought experiment, you know, for those you know listening in your car or at work, whatever it may be, Think of some of the better teams in the NFL, right? Think of the Bengals. Think of, you know, the Packers or, um, heck, you can even think, think of the, look at the Buccaneers, um, you know, the Cardinals, teams like that. Now imagine them without their star quarterbacks and insert a backup quarterback. And I kind of chuckled at the Buccaneers because we saw that with Jameis Winston. Tom Brady comes in. They add a, a couple of pieces, but it's primarily Brady. that That's the big change in Tampa Bay. Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay missed the playoffs the year before with Jameis Winston. I believe they went 7-9 or 8-8. Eight and eight. And then they get Brady in in year one, and they win the Super Bowl. So imagine something like that. Now, I'm not saying Washington is a Super Bowl you know, contending team, but the fact that Washington was able to win seven games with a backup quarterback, a quarterback that was extremely limited in crucial areas of, of their offense. Like, for example, uh, Scott Turner and Washington's offense really want to run some some timing concepts, some certain concepts that really require the quarterback to really drive that football home, uh, throw with some anticipation and stuff like that. And, you know, respectfully, Heineke just does not have the arm for that. So they have to limit their play call, limit, limit the playbook, limit what they can do as an offense because the quarterback position is so limited. Um, I think with that being considered, Washington's ability to win seven games this year facing that kind of schedule with a backup quarterback, because you got to remember, Fitzpatrick went down in the first, what was it, first, it was the first half, but a couple minutes into the second quarter, like, all of their plans that they were focused on, although, you know, you can knock them for, you know, buying into a guy that's 39 years old and really, you know, he took one hit, one big hit and was done for the year, uh, you know, so that's fair, you can criticize him for that. But all in all, they did really well considering, in my opinion, as an offense and as a team, winning seven games, beating some of the teams that they beat that they really shouldn't have uh, with a backup quarterback. So I think that's a really, really solid step in the right direction because we've seen teams in Washington, when they have an all-systems-go offense, when you have the, the Kirk Cousins and the Jordan Reed healthy, Pierre Garçon, Deshaun Jackson, and these guys won nine games, and they struggled to win nine games. So... 
I think you can look at this Rivera era, uh, this regime specifically, and really be be happy with the fact that, yes, they do have very big questions to answer. They need a quarterback. Yes, we get that. So I'm not saying, oh, my God, they're, they're going to be a Super Bowl contender with the quarterback. But considering this team won seven games in back-to-back seasons, especially this year, playing one of the toughest schedules in the NFL uh, with the backup quarterback, I think you can be pretty happy with that. That's just my opinion. Some people will disagree and say I'm just being a homer or whatever the case may be. But from someone that personally looks at a lot of the numbers, uh, the analytic numbers, and you kind of look at some other things, uh, you know, I watch a lot. And personally, from what I see, uh, Washington and Scott Turner specifically, they've done some really good work and they've made chicken salad a lot with a lot of materials that just aren't there sometimes. Uh, so I think that's one thing that I would, I, I, I one general thought that I had about this year. Um, I think not only that too, one last thing you kind of hang your hat on, you know, heading into this off season is the fact that not only does Washington have plenty of cap space and draft picks to make any move that they could imagine, but they're sticking to their direction and have been discussing the fact that they know it is time to make something happen. Uh, Coming into the season, last season, you know, or 2020, you know, everyone understood that this was a rebuilding year. 2021 came around. Ron chose a veteran quarterback because, hey, maybe we can strike strike it hot again, maybe win nine games, ten games, be competitive, and then take that big step. I think it was in increments, and I think right now they knew, hey, last year's team, honestly, you know, considering the schedule was easy, uh, they won seven games. That was good. That was probably the most that they were going to win in, you know, in in a, in a perfect year, right? Um, that was probably a four, three to four win ball club, in my opinion. Uh, when you just kind of look at everything, and and if if they played the schedule that they played, you know, this year, if they played that one last year, they're probably winning four games, three or four games if we're you know calling a spade a spade. This year, they went seven games against a really tough schedule. Next year, they're going to play a third place schedule, and. They understand that year three, when, in terms of development and where they want to be, uh, Ron Rivera said it best. You know, he said that quote: "We we need to see the year three must be uh, the year where we see this team start taking that big step forward." And year three is the biggest year uh, in, in this Rivera era. And honestly, you can hang your hat on the fact that they understand this. They're going to come into this offseason looking to utilize every asset imaginable to get that quarterback right. And not only that, look to add pieces that really support not only the quarterback on the offensive side of the football, but defensively, they're going to look for a quarterback on that on that side of the ball as well. They're going to look for a Mike linebacker. I know Cole, Cole Holcomb uh, had you know the 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 the, um, the call helmet on uh, back you know this past year. Even though he was on the outside, he, you know wherever he was, he was really the one that was the quarterback of the defense for the most part of the year. And uh, they're going to really look for a Mike, and I think they're going to look for a veteran and. They're, that's what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to really attack this head-on, uh, and they have plenty of assets to do so, both in cap space, draft picks. Uh, and the one thing that you really have to be you know, excited about and confident in is the fact that not only does this team recognize this, because that hasn't been always the case. I mean, for the love of God, you guys remember the, the whole, the culture is damn good, just complete, n- no self-awareness of what's going on around you in the situation. No, they understand it here. They know what's what's going to happen. They know what they need. And I think, you know, the narrative heading into the offseason should be Washington's going to look to attack and they actually have the people in place to make the right decision. Now, let's kind of switch gears a little bit. And, uh, you know, here in a moment, let's talk about these big improvements, takeaways and surprises that I had this year.
So right off the bat, you know, some of the biggest uh, takeaways, you know, surprises or just, you know, improvements that a certain player had. I'm going to start off because um, I have to do it. Taylor Heineke played better than I thought he would, uh, you know, if given a full season. I thought if Washington had to play Taylor for four games, let alone an entire season, we'd probably be looking at a 3-14 and kind of season. Uh, he played better than I thought he would have. I mean, and although he's obviously limited in a variety of ways, the dude showed up big in some big-time moments and played to his strengths uh, enough of the time to bring home seven Ws on the year. He could be Washington's five- to six-year backup if he's able to maintain this level of play through OTAs, preseason, and in spot starting duty if needed. Uh, this dude this dude really showed out. I mean, and, and he belongs in the NFL 100%. If you doubted him before... You can't doubt him now. Obviously, he's not going to be a starting quarterback. He's not, you know, he's not that kind of player. But, I mean, he's a backup quarterback, and I think anyone would be fine with starting him for two, three games a season, uh, you know, if you needed him to. You know, hopefully that doesn't happen because you don't want your franchise quarterback always going down. But if you had to, Heineke can definitely fill in for you, and you and that's all you could ask for. And he's really one of these high-end backups that, you know, some people love Marcus Mariota. Some people are, are, are clamoring for a guy like that. Well, although, you know, Heineke may not be the athlete that Mariota is, he's still on that level in that tier of high-end backups. So I think Heineke's fine moving forward. He can be that guy here long-term as a backup if needed. And, uh, you know, I, I think I think you have to be really happy with, with what you've seen from him uh, overall. I think he's a guy that even if you bring in a rookie quarterback or whoever you bring in, uh, he's enough competition to really bring the best out of who, whoever is in that room. So, uh, big ups to Taylor Heineke for sure. Uh, we're going to move to the defensive side of the ball here. You know, Cam Curl is who I really want to talk about right now. He continues to be one of Washington's best players. Um, I had questions coming into the season uh, when I had a on, uh, I had a podcast with PFF's Nick Ackridge coming into the year. And I was kind of qu- uh, questioning whether Curl potentially kind of hit his ceiling as a versatile kind of solid talent that can really produce but in, but in a specific role. Uh, and as many of you know, you know, these late round picks sometimes can kind of bottom out quickly after they initially burst onto the scene. Uh, not in Curl's case, though. I mean, this dude, I never questioned the ability. You know, I just questioned the consistency. And man, this dude is is one of Washington's best players. I mean, not even just defensively, just overall. He's probably a top five player on this team. Uh, and as a seventh round pick, that was an absolute dinger in the bottom of the ninth. That that was that was one of Washington. That's one of the the best picks in in Washington's franchise history potentially. I mean, even if he's never a Pro Bowler, that dude as a seventh round pick is gonna is gonna looks like he's gonna be well on his way to a relatively you know lucrative second contract and be a you know a, a pillar of this Washington defense for for years to come. So Cam Curl can do it all. Uh, he can cover the deep half, you know, deep quarter. Uh, he can, you know, line up in the slot and defend, you know, slot wideouts or even line up on the line of scrimmage and go and defend your other opposing team's tight end. He can pass rush. I mean, this dude is amazing. And, uh, yeah, I hope I hope that payday comes quick, man. I know, the, I know those seventh-round picks don't get a lot of money, but Cam Crow's definitely deserving of it. And lastly, I want to talk about Washington's offensive line. Uh, if you don't like this word because some people believe uh, it gets thrown out too much, uh, but whatever. I mean, it is what it is. Just accept this. Uh, if you look at the numbers, you know, you use your eyes uh, and, you know, with numerous backups, te- uh, you know, taking an extreme amount of snaps, the offensive line of Washington is borderline elite. I mean, it is really that great of a unit. They've been top 10 in rust and run and pass block win rate. Uh, they've given guys like Antonio Gibson some of the, quote, 
most perfectly blocked runs. That's actually a legitimate stat from Pro Football Focus. Uh, and they've been as good as you can imagine, especially when you include the fact that they've been decimated with injuries playing second, third, fourth string guys. They're on their fourth string center. Uh, Sam Cosby missed some significant time this year. Uh, they've had to play guys like Sadiq Charles, Cornelius Lucas. Uh, they, they've they've done a lot of moving along that offensive line. So John Matsko deserves a huge uh, amount of credit. But not only that, too, the players themselves, they're, it's a great unit. It is, in my opinion, borderline elite, if not elite. And whomever Washington brings in to be at quarterback heading into this, you know, next next season, they're going to be dropped into a very, very, very good offensive line, a very quarterback-friendly offensive line for sure. So let's transition here to some of my biggest disappointments on the year. I wrote a piece about, uh, basically, on Rigo's rag about what certain Washington, well, what Washington fans. Uh, specifically could be you know annoyed with or, or disappointed about or upset with right so I would say you know if you're going to be disappointed I think you should be disappointed in the fact that it seems like coach Rivera and Jack Dorio really struggled and were too hesitant at times to make adjustments when it comes to playing certain guys to their strengths for example William Jackson III was a heavy usage man-to-man corner for his entire career I understand the balance you need when it comes to playing man or zone as a defense but it seemed as if Washington's zone concepts were way too uncomfortable for a guy like William Jackson. Although he did improve throughout the year, he never played with that confidence that those island corners need in order to play at the highest level, and eventually that's going to leak out into their uh, their play in zone as well. Um, in addition, Washington really struggled to find an identity for guys like Landon Collins. Uh, Collins put together a good 4-5 to five game stretch later in the year, but he was legitimately a midseason cut candidate prior to his position switch. Uh, Landon's struggles in coverage were obvious heading into the season. I've had numerous conversations, if you guys have listened to the podcast, with just about anyone when it comes to Landon Collins. And we all, it was unanimous. I mean, this dude, no deep half uh, coverage responsibility, not even deep quarters, uh, you know, responsibility. Nothing, you know, that, that, that causes him to get depth of 15 yards or 10 yards or whatever. He needs to be at the, as close to the line of scrimmage as possible. And that, you know, that suits his game best. For whatever reason, for the first, you know, seven, eight games of this season, it just didn't happen that way immediately. And Washington died numerous times due to their, they died, they died, you know, uh, their consequences killed them. Uh, They died because of the consequences. And as a defense, it was just, it was just wrecking them, man. For those first, you know, seven, eight games, it was, it was really rough to watch. And Landon's a good dude. You know, it seems like he's, you know, really genuine, loves football, although he doesn't like the, you know, to be called a linebacker. You know, he really does care about the game and has a lot of pride in, you know, what he does. And as a, as a you know, as so strongly defensive-minded as, as these guys are, it was really shocking to see how they really struggled to play certain guys to their strengths. I mean, it was it was really, really rough. Uh, I think you also, you know, considering with, you know, the secondary, uh, I mean, continuing with the secondary, rather, I think you have to be shocked with how bad the secondary in general started the season off. Though they improved... Washington's secondary was so bad to start this season. 
it was the primary cause as to why Washington's front four was unable to generate any consistent play at the line of scrimmage, any consistent pressure, anything you could imagine. Guys like John Allen, Deron Payne, and Chase Young all posted some decent, good to great win rates, but ultimately, they couldn't cash in as much as you'd hope for, especially early on, uh, just due to the secondary's lackluster play for the first eight games of the year. I mean, against guys, against teams like whether it was Buffalo or even you know that first game against L.A., uh, even that game against the Giants. I mean, those are the first off the top of my head where I'm like, the secondary was atrocious from giving up long conversions on third and short when the ball's getting out in like two seconds or less, which in that case, you, you can't, unless unless Chase Young and Montez Sweat are getting, are getting you know, I, I don't even know, the, the greatest get-offs imaginable every single time on third down. It's it's really tough to imagine your, your pass rush getting there in, in, in a, a second and a half or shorter. You know what I mean? And man Washington secondary was struggling it was even you can say uh kind of their back six or seven uh because even the linebackers struggled there as well but you know the linebackers really struggled to cover the second level and stuff like that too but I think the 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 shocking thing just how bad it was because that really really uh, uh just pushed this defense back gave them little to no confidence little to no momentum and it kind of set the tone for the season. I mean, coverage breakdown started the year, and then even as we enter the you know the later half, the later parts of the season, they were still happening. You know what I mean? So it really set the tone for what the season was. You know, immediately from game one when they're giving up third and what was it, sixteen, seventeen against the Chargers. Uh, I think just how bad the secondary was was so shocking to me. So I, I just I didn't see it coming. I really didn't. Uh, and I think that's something that Washington, like I mentioned earlier, with the different philosophy uh, that you know the defensive you know minded coaches might ha- might need to you know kind of talk about. That could be a reason why because they cannot afford to start this slow again, especially if they're looking to make that next leap, uh, like they've been mentioning. And lastly, I think Washington has to be disappointed with the lack of skill position players that made a real impact this year. I'm not gonna take a shot at Curtis Samuel because you know injury is is unpredictable. You never know what's gonna happen. Uh, I think Washington may have fumbled a little bit with his handling of his injury, uh, but even whenever he did play, you know he wasn't utilized to the best of his abilities. That was one of the one of the largest you know concerns I had with Curtis Samuel was not necessarily the ability, but Scott Turner and and, and just in general the Washington offense doesn't seem to utilize specific players uh, and as and in the ways that they really can be utilized. So Kurt, so like guys like Curtis Samuel or like even Terry McLaurin. You can do so many things with those guys. I think sometimes Scott Turner and, and just and, and just the staff in general can be a little bit too hesitant on both sides of the ball. And uh, I think even with a guy like Curtis Samuel when he's healthy, and if he is 100% healthy, you got to be giving him touches out of the backfield. you got to be giving him those quick those quick hitters to kind of get him some momentum, get him some confidence. Uh, and you can, you know, you can leak that out to guys like Terry McLaurin as well, J.D. McKissick, Antonio Gibson. Uh, you know, you can do a little bit more with these guys than I think that they do sometimes. Than that, than they, you can do more with these guys than what they allow themselves to do sometimes. So, I think you have to be a, a little, you know, upsetting, a little bit shocked with just how Washington's, you know, skill position players outside of you know Terry or J.D. McKissick played because even guys like Deami Brown or Cam Sins or Adam Humphreys. Uh, I mean, you can look at the numbers, guys. I mean, these guys aren't winning very often, uh, and when they do, I mean, they weren't making the most of their, you know, the most of their touches even when they had them. I know Cam Sims is everyone's favorite player, and while I know he's improved, that he's still, you know, he's still not very efficient with his touches either. I mean, so I think a lot of times with these guys, even though they're not going to be getting force-fed the football, 
what you want and what you need and what you expect from guys like that is to be efficient and make the most out of every touch, every look that they get. And while they're not going to be a hundred percent perfect, you want them to be, uh, you want them to be on more times than they are not. And, uh, I think, you know, with how Washington school position players played this year, you're really going to need more out of them. And if you're don't, if you're not very confident in that, you have plenty of money and plenty of assets in the draft to really get a guy that can give you some juice because they definitely need some juice. They need some players uh, that can really have some true yards after the catch ability. I think the deep stuff is fine. I mean, if they're going to have Diami, Diami's a, a sensational deep threat in my opinion. Even though the route running needs some work, uh, he just needs to really work on his separation skills in general. Uh, I think Washington really needs to needs to get some guys that have true run after the catch ability. But that's enough on that. I think we're going to now transition to who must be re-signed in Washington. Already also, I think J.D. McKissick must be re-signed. Uh, just his pass protection ability is fantastic. And of course, his ability to be an impact player in the open field is too great to pass up. Uh, I think just he has he has so much juice, so much pop with the ball in his hands. Like I was just mentioning, you know, earlier, they need guys to run after the catch, yards after the catchability, people who can make some moves happen in the open field. And JD's all of that. He doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. I don't think he's going to break the bank either. Uh, he's just a very good veteran to have, and someone that whomever you're bringing in next year can really really utilize his skill set. You can do just about anything with this guy. And if, if Scott Turner's, you know, if these guys really seem to really want versatile pieces offensively, JD's a very versatile piece. I mean, you can do everything with them. So I think JD McKissick is a must, you know, must have when it comes to the re-signs. And I'm only doing two for both, you know, who should be moved and who should be re-signed. So the second one I'm going to say is actually Tim Settle. Uh, Tim Settle should get cr- strong consideration in terms of a new deal because you know, rotational tackles that can provide on special teams at a high level should be retained, in my opinion. Uh, I'd imagine he won't break the bank either. A deal from, you know, anywhere from 5 to $7 million per season. And with Matt Ioannidis becoming a free agent after next year, you could be in need of a rotational defensive tackle and one that's, you know, solid on special teams as well. Now, this won't be a make-or-break deal for Washington, but Tim is a solid player and could contribute in a bigger role. Not too big, but with an increase in playing time, I think Tim Settle can still be as effective as he is now. Now, as to who should be moved or let go, I think I'm going to start, obviously, with the big one. I think it needs to be Brandon Sheriff. Uh, as of today, Spotrac has his market value at about $13 million. And while I think that number is fine, I would actually probably resign him for $13 million, uh, considering Sheriff is a multiple-time Pro Bowler and an All-Pro. I'd imagine he's looking for a deal close to eighteen or $19 million per season. Uh, the thing is, very few guards are worth close to that amount in terms of salary cap and just impact value. Uh, good to great guards aren't found at a dime a dozen, but they're definitely not as rare as some may believe. At $18 million, I think Washington would opt to bring in another receiver and a linebacker over paying a position where they've proven they can develop players at. Uh, they've had no problem developing players around that position, including at guard. Uh, they've tried just about everyone at guard, you know, over the last two seasons since Rivera came in, and just about everyone's had some, you know, some really good stretches of football. So, I think Washington would be fine with kind of letting Sheriff walk. Honestly, this draft has a couple of really solid guards. I think Zion Johnson from Boston College uh, is a really good guard. I would love to see him in burgundy and gold, uh, a second or third round pick on for him uh, for sure. So, 
I think I think Washington has a has enough enough oil to cook with here at, in terms of their offensive line room, and they can afford to let a guy like Sheriff Rock walk. Um, in terms of on the defensive side of the football, you know, switching positions here, this may be a shock to some, uh, but I think you should strongly consider cutting Landon Collins as well. Uh, before you turn this episode off, I want you to think about this: you cannot play Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis outside full time if you're looking to keep Landon in this role. Why? Because Landon cannot play Mike whatsoever, and he's probably best utilized on the outside as well. Not only that. As he carries a cap hit of north of $16 million next year, he doesn't contribute close to a level that's worth that tax bracket in NFL terms. Landon significantly improved from being a mid-season cut candidate, listen to that, he significantly improved from being a mid-season cut candidate to a decent linebacker in a pinch, but prior to his injury against Dallas and Philly, he put together two abysmal performances. You can look at just about any grading system you could imagine, uh, pro football focus was not very kind to him over those last two games as well. Not saying pro football focus is the Bible on how to do everything right. But in that same breath, let's call a spade a spade here. Um, while he played, you know, really good for a stretch or two or not a stretch or two, you know, about four or five games, whatever the case, whatever the case is, uh, he's still extremely limited in a crucial area. Guess what that area is. Just take a wild guess. I'll let you think for a second. Exactly. He's really limited in coverage. This is what Landon Collins gave up this year in coverage. And, and and mind you, he was targeted. He was targeted in coverage three or more times in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven games. Eleven eleven of his how many games did, did Landon play this year? Let's see. I'm doing this right on right on the fly. He played in one, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. So in 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 fourteen games, he was targeted that many times, eleven or eleven times. Not only that, he gave up forty three catches, which is a, a a reception percentage of all the targets he he had, you know, Adam, of seventy seven percent. Forty three catches for four hundred seventy eight yards and four touchdowns with zero pass breakups. Landon Collins is even at linebacker, guys. Even at linebacker, if you want to look at the numbers, just get a the pro football focus has it right here. Landon made Landon made the switch to linebacker, I believe, at in, in week eight was when they really started using him because against uh, Green Bay they started benching him. This is what he gave up: three catches, three catches, two catches, five catches, four catches, three catches. Yards was thirty-seven, four, fifteen, fifteen, forty-three, thirty-nine, forty-two. He gave up he gave up uh, two touchdowns during that stretch. Like, I'm sorry, guys. Like, he's a he's a solid player. He's a good pass rusher, good against the run, very good against the run, uh, really solid pass rusher. But in coverage, if you're going to be a linebacker, you you need to have some sort of ability. You cannot be this bad in coverage. You can't. And it's and it's and it's not even a deal of oh he just transitioned from safety to linebacker, so his coverage skills could improve. No, it's just it's just not him. It's not his game. He's not a coverage player. He's not strong in coverage. Therefore, I, I don't see a, a way you could play. If you're going to develop guys like Jamin Davis or Cole Holcomb, how are you going to do that and, and take time away from them to play a guy like Landon, who I respect, right? I obviously do. But he's a veteran player who's coming off injuries in back-to-back seasons to end his season. Who, who's, this would be his, what, his seventh, eighth season in the NFL, making $16 million. If you cut Landon Collins, you're going to save $7 million this year, $12 million next year. 
and $14 million in 2024. I think if Washington keeps Landon Collins, they're going to have a pretty good idea relatively quickly in you know camp and stuff like that as to you know how he fits, where he fits in this, that, and the third. But I just can't imagine Ron Rivera sticking with a guy, with a veteran, that makes that kind of money that is so, so much of a liability in coverage. Um, so... I think Landon, not to pick on him too much or anything like that, but we're just calling a spade a spade here. I really think that Washington should take take a look at not only letting Brandon Sheriff walk, but moving on from Landon Collins if you could, just because, like I said, the cap hit for development reasons uh, and the and the coverage liabilities, man. Even in at linebacker guys, it's it's not just a, a thing at safety. Uh, I think you definitely have to look look you know look towards the future in that aspect. All right, so let's transition to you know a little bit a topic that's a little bit more fun. Uh, who Washington should start Week One, twenty twenty two? Not should I say who should or who will? I don't know. Let's see. Um, I think Washington takes a crack at the following veteran quarterbacks if available, as I believe they really do want a veteran quarterback. If it's you know if it was up to them, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Russell Wilson, Sean Watson. Of these, I believe Jimmy Jimmy is the likeliest outcome, but I still don't believe it happens. Uh, if it was up to me, if Watson was clear of these allegations, and that's a discussion that I don't think we have time for. It's just, it's really just, it's a rough. It's even, I don't even really feel comfortable having him as an option. But hypothetically, if everything is cleared and everything is, there's nothing he has to deal with, or, or I mean, even like I mentioned, it's just such a rough conversation to have, but. Hypothetically, right? If he's clear, everything's you know fine or whatever the case. Uh, I think you do have to trade your your two or three first round picks and call it a day for him if if he's available. And before you think that's crazy, let me let me just say this: Deshaun Watson is is definitely one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL when healthy, uh, as an All Pro. Uh, he, I mean, I don't know if he's an All Pro yet, but he's definitely on that ascension. He's a fringe All Pro All Pro player now. Obviously, a Pro Bowl player now. Uh, think about it like this so everyone's like oh two first round picks three first round picks so let's 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 do some history here who would you rather have chase young Dwayne haskins and jamin davis or deshaun watson i didn't mention montez sweat because washington traded back into the first round to get montez late in the round that wasn't one of their original picks now let's look at this if if that's if that's not enough the three before that deron Payne, john allen and josh doxson or deshaun watson now it's not to say guys like Chase Young, Deshaun, or Chase Young and Duran and John aren't good players. They obviously are. Duran Payne, friend of the show, love him, right? But if you're building a team, hypothetically, right? Who, who would like? Who would you? Who would you take? You know what I mean? The All Pro caliber, you know, ascending quarterback, the perennial Pro Bowl quarterback, or uh, you know, defensive lineman. You know what I mean? Like it, it's a no brainer, right? Uh, I think if if like I said, there's so many moving parts, and it's not even a conversation I'm really comfortable having just because I don't know everything that has to do with that situation. But hypothetically, I'm talking about in a perfect world, I think that's what Washington should do. Uh, but that requires so many things to go right that I don't think will. So that's kind of my whole two cents on the idea. I know guys on the Washington Football Talk podcast, shout out to J.P. Finley and such, they've mentioned you know Deshaun Watson to D.C. before, and uh, that's just kind of my whole opinion on the deal, and that's you know who I think would be the best option obviously I don't think it's going to happen I think Jimmy Garoppolo would be the most likely but even then that's really tough to see uh anyways I think Washington ultimately doesn't get their veteran quarterback like I mentioned and I actually think they move up a couple spots in the draft 
uh, maybe from 11 to 7 or something like that. And they draft a guy that's NFL ready that can produce right away, right away has a veteran feel to him, really can uh, you know thrive in that Scott Turner offense. Uh, and that guy would be Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh. I think QB1 Kenny P will be in D.C. to start Washington Week 1 2022 because I think Washington, although they're not going to get their veteran, they're going to want to get a guy that has that veteran feel, that veteran makeup, who's played a lot of football uh, and really can contribute right away. And I think Kenny Pickett is that guy, the most NFL-ready guy, in my opinion, in this draft class for sure. My last hit here on uh, Dame's drawback. And this episode, I want to thank you all for joining me and having me, uh, you know, whether it's in your car, at work, whatever the case may be. Thank you all for listening. Let's talk about what this name is going to be. So I think I believe it's, you know, time to close right here. And we're going to do a little discussion, man. we got to talk about this name, right? Uh, I personally think Washington's jerseys and logo will be exceptional. It seems like every single player, every time you've heard about the logo or the jersey, whatever the case may be, everyone loves it, right? Everyone enjoys it. Everyone thinks it's going to be sweet. So I think the name's going to be Commanders. I think it's going to be the Washington Commanders, and the hashtag will be hashtag DCFC. Uh, that's just what I think because from the logo that we've all seen that says the People's Team, you know, all that other stuff, we've seen like the DC Football Commanders logo, all that other stuff. I think DCFC is definitely the hashtag, the way they want to go because it's it's easy, it's trendy. You can put hashtag DCFC on everything. Um, you can have like little, you know, little tacky little slogans like DCFC for life, you know, all that other stuff. Uh I think it's going to be Commanders. It's going to be a very generic, very just kind of easy name. Uh, and there, it's it's just going to be, you know, the Commanders, hashtag DCFC. But the jerseys, I think, are going to be sweet. And I, I, I think, I predict they're going to have one jersey. It's going to be it's going to be an all-white uni. It's going to be all-white with burgundy and black on it, uh, considering they have an all-black helmet. I think it's going to be all-white with burgundy, uh, burgundy numbers, a black outline, you know, black and burgundy stripes on the sleeves. And I think it's going to be the best uniform that Washington has ever had. And I think we're going to end it on that note. So with that being said, thank you all for listening to me. Uh, go ahead and follow the page on Twitter, at Dame Dropback. That's at D-A-M-E Dropback, D-R-O-P-B-A-C-K. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter, at D-A Bartonic. That's at D-A-B-A-R-T-O-N-E-K. Uh, check out everything I got going on uh, from Washington football team articles. I'm doing a ton of draft stuff. Uh, I'm also going to the Senior Bowl next month. So I got a lot of stuff coming y'all's way. So please continue to, you know, like, share, subscribe, whatever the case may be, follow, whatever. And, uh, you know, I greatly appreciate all y'all. Thank you for, you know, having me in your ear. And uh, I'm out, y'all. Peace.